Welcome everybody to episode 36 of the Full Frontal Living Podcast. My name is Lisa Carpenter and today I am here with probably one of my most favorite people in the world, my new fiance, which sounds so funny to say because we've been together for so long, but I promised you guys that I would bring on my hubby to talk about our journey. Now, if you are a new listener to the podcast, before you do anything, I want you to go back to episode one and really listen to my story, what started my radical transformation. Um, and just so you have a little bit more context around this conversation, because we're going to be diving into addiction, recovery, codependency, and really what it's looked like behind the scenes of our relationship, because we've been together for now for, gosh, probably almost 11 years, and we've had a lot of ups and downs, and I see a lot of people struggle in their relationships because they're trying to control all the pieces. Most of the women that I work with are really juggling all the balls. They're overdoers, overfunctioners, trying to control everything, wanting to look like their lives are perfect. And behind the scenes, they're really struggling to keep their heads above water and of course, even matter in their own lives. And this, this was my life. And when my hubby went into recovery for addiction, it changed everything for me. It really forced me to step into taking responsibility for the role that I was playing in the relationship, the role that I was playing in my own life and my own behaviors. And it would have been so easy to blame and be the victim. Uh, but the truth was, I was a big as, as big a player in the dysfunction that was happening in our relationship as he was. So today, without further ado, I bought, brought my soon-to-be actual real husband, <laughs> Macy, onto the show so we can talk about this and we're going to talk about how much he's transformed and you know some of the ups and downs we've had to go through uh, while I've kept my hands off his process. So thanks for coming on and hanging out with me, babe. Yeah, you're welcome. Are you nervous a little bit? Always. Always. Yeah, but it'll ease. Yeah, because you never really know who's going to be tuning in. And we're going to talk about some vulnerable stuff that a lot of people don't know about mm -hmm. and how we got from point A to point B. But even saying that point, like what is point There's B no anyways? There's no point B. It's just uh, how it shaped the journey that we're on. Right. And it's been fun. It's been a fun ride. Not all the time. No, it hasn't been fun all the time. Sometimes I've wanted to put my head through the wall. And I think sometimes you have as well. Absolutely. So I guess we start at the beginning. Uh, how far? Well, let's see. Our little man was six months old. Yeah. We had the two older boys yeah. from my from my previous marriage, and uh, so we we had been seeing each other for three, two, three years, yeah. um, uh, on and off, and then on, and then. Um, yeah, so I think our journey really started um, when I went to uh, recovery in, in a treatment center. So my life before that, um, before meeting Lisa, um, I was quite young. Um, I had a, a good career and doing quite well financially. 
um, I was single and uh, I lived in a house with a friend. We were a couple of young guys. We bought a house together. So one of the first uh, of our friends to own a home. And so it was, <laughs> it was kind of like a frat house. Um, I, I do sit, you know, to paint the picture, we had what we had a foosball table in the dining mm -hmm. room with dart boards and hot tub sauna. And so it, it was a party house. It was a bachelor pad, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so I, I lived every day to, to enjoy the evenings and enjoy the weekends. And that uh, evidently continued through the week. And my life was one long weekend interrupted by work. <laughs> interrupted by work. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. How old were you when you started drinking? Because I know I was young when I started drinking. I started think as a drinking. teenager. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 15, 14. Yeah, probably about 14. Right. And then it just kind of carried on for you. Uh, drinking, yeah. Drinking, you know, at that age is definitely a weekend thing and, and carried on uh, lifelong until, well, a year before treatment. Um, but for me, uh, drugs came into my picture quite early as well, grade eight. So I would have been, geez, 14. Wow, just a babe. Yeah. But I think we were all, you know, I, I think that there's probably many people listening who experimented with drugs at one point or another and, and alcohol. It's kind of a standard thing with teens, the curiosity. Uh, but for you, it just, it carried on into yeah. life. And, and I think that's important to clarify is, is um, you know, starting young, using young doesn't mean that uh, you have a problem with it. Um, you know, what I've learned through the treatment is that predisposed to addiction and, and, um, and well, addiction takes many forms, but because I, I grabbed onto drugs and alcohol, um, that was what took me away. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it was, you know, until I met Lisa in, in my mid twenties, um, you know, I was I was using pretty hard and partying very hard. Um, so she, but you didn't know that. I didn't. I didn't know that. But I want to ask you, what, what, what were you trying to, what were you trying to avoid or numb out with with the drugs and alcohol? Like, when did you realize that it was that it was a real problem for you? And what you know, when did it go from being you know, kind of a recreational thing mm -hmm. to realizing, wow, this is like an all the time thing. What, what were you struggling to be with in your life? What were your kind of demons? Um, I guess unbeknownst to me at the time, I was definitely uh, numbing and running and hiding um, by using uh, them. Um, in, in retrospect, I, I think it had, uh, I, I was, I was brought up in a household that we didn't talk a lot about our feelings and emotions. Um, I was also, um, you know, I would say more or less, I put it on myself to be uh, a perfectionist, mm -hmm. uh, to be the best at whatever I did. And with that came a lot of pressure. Um, I excelled in high school, uh, basically a straight A student on a roll all the way through. And then getting into university, I was, completely lost mm -hmm. and I think that's when things started to spiral a bit is that feeling of um, uh, I had no direction I had no purpose I had no goal I was in school but not knowing why and for what and uh, I had um, kind of let go of my friend circle and, and kind of isolated myself um, I didn't talk to anyone I didn't share how I was feeling and so the, the drugs and alcohol was a way for me to uh, stop that inner voice. Mm. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. So I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about feelings either. Mm -hmm. You know, it was Lisa, tone it down, go to your room because I said so. So I never gravitated really towards, you know, drugs and alcohol to numb out. However, I found my own ways to numb out with perfectionism and control and caretaking and people pleasing. So, you know, addiction can take many form. It's not, you know, we put so much um, emphasis on people are, who are maybe struggling with drugs or alcohol or gambling or whatever it may be. But the truth is the struggles that I was having around my behavior addictions were just as toxic, if not more so, because it was every minute of every hour of every day of my life. They were impacting me mm -hmm. and they were doing the same thing, just numbing me out from not feeling that insecurity, not, not really acknowledging or being with that part of me that never felt like I was good enough or worthy enough or loved enough. Yeah. And I think what I understand now um, much better is we all have these voices in our head, which are chattering away uh, nonstop. Um, I believe them. I believe mine too. Um, they told me I was worthless, that I wasn't good enough, that I'll never be good enough, that, uh, you know, along those lines. And like I said, I believe them. I don't now, but I still, you know, they come up, right? They when do. I, when I lose a client or when I, you know, I, I do real estate. So when I don't sell a house for whatever reason, you know, that those voices will come up and, and put me down. And now I understand that I am not those voices. Yes. Now, back in the day, did you, were you aware of those voices? Because I can honestly say, I just kind of did my way through life. And I, I wasn't even aware that these voices were under the surface. I was just, I was so unaware that there was anything different that I could be doing in my life. No, I always, under, I always knew there was, um, I had my inner chatter. Um, mm. we'll call them voices. Um, but I, I always thought that I, there was something wrong with me that I had them. And so that, um, that added to it. And it, now, now not only did I have these voices giving me negative self-talk, but I also thought there was something wrong with me. Right. So it makes sense why you'd want to quiet them out and numb them. And, mm -hmm. you know, this might really be speaking to somebody listening because all of us have those negative voices and we're all trying to avoid the things that we don't want to feel. And that's why it's so important to acknowledge those voices because then we can dismiss them. We can realize that they're just our thoughts and we're the, we're the creators of our thoughts and our thoughts don't have to run us, but it's been a journey for you to move mm -hmm. past them. Well, I think just to touch on kind of your area of expertise, but even as a, as a male and I grew up very athletic, I played a lot of sports. Um, you know, every season I was playing two or three sports and I, I played at very high levels and, uh, you know, I was fit. Um, but yet I had body image problems as well. Mm. I, I didn't like to look at myself in the mirror. I would critique um, my chest. I would critique, you know, my stomach, um, critique, you know, my appearance. And that, that was more chatter. So, you know, I understand now um, and I love myself my body now of course there's areas for improvement but i love your body too yeah isn't it it's so so you can you can always you know there's that saying i think it was steve jobs says that you can only connect the dots by looking backwards mm -hmm. right so you can see why 
you kind of fell into drugs and alcohol as a way to just literally quiet the voices so that you could have some peace. Like it was really, it ended up being almost like a sanctuary. Absolutely. It supported you until it didn't anymore. That's right. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little about, about that. And we're not going to stay in the land of addiction for a long time because so much has changed for you now. I want to talk about how your identity has shifted mm-hmm. um, and the things that came out of it. So, you know, I still remember the morning where I, you know, discovered kind of what was going on. It was devastating. Mm-hmm. Our littlest was six months old. And I remember coming home and, and just knowing that our relationship had to end and it was heartbreaking. And at the same time, I just, I knew this wasn't, I knew it wasn't okay for me. So even with all my, uh, you know, behavior addictions of wanting to caretake and, you know, it's interesting looking back, I can see where my intuition always was telling me that there was something wrong, but I would override it. I would override it and just kind of discount it. I didn't know what was wrong, but it was that feeling in my gut that something was off with us. Well, and it was almost like you you knew I was uh, depressed mm-hmm. um, and then wasn't functioning, um, you know, at a level that I can and should be. Yeah, I don't want to say should, but what I saw, and like I said, in retrospect, is that you almost tried to love me more. Yeah, you tried to do more. That was my pattern. It was, you know, I would find this person, and this was my pattern in relationships, and this is what you know, I can look back and say, this is what drew me to you. I mean, I do love you, but I, you know, prior to my first marriage, every man in my life was like this wounded soul. And if I could just love them more, they would, they would learn to love themselves. They would see how amazing they were. The problem with that though, was that I needed that for myself. I didn't realize I was trying to give you what I was unwilling to give myself. And in trying to love you more, I actually perpetuated your illness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say this though, you do have uh, a a tremendous um, gift that you see the best in people and their potential. And, uh, you know, your intuition has always led you in the right direction. And I I think that's what attracted you to your previous uh, marriage. Um, He's a wonderful man. And, you know, I believe it in myself to me. Um, But you saw the potential in us. And but I think where your fault was, was that you thought that you could make us. Yeah, that I could save you. That you could. Yeah. And we, you know, just to be clear, if you're listening to this, we cannot save anybody. And in fact, in trying to save people, we perpetuate the problem. And it's so easy to look at other people. And I had a, you know, I had a conversation with a colleague about this just this morning. Look at other people and believe, well, if, if they were just different, then I would feel better. Then life would be great. Mm-hmm. And the truth is we cannot change other people. So it wasn't until you went to rehab and I was forced to kind of take my hands off the situation, look at my own stuff. Um, that things really changed. But I think it's really important for us to share kind of that moment when our relationship really took a a hard right or a hard left, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when Lisa talks about that morning where she knew everything was changed because she discovered my, my paraphernalia. And so I I got kicked out of the house and then within a week I was in a treatment center, which is pretty quick. Um, so I had been in there for about four weeks. Um, the odd communication, I think it was by letter, 
phone call. No, maybe. Yeah. No, we didn't have a ton we of communication. We hardly talked at all. But anyway, so about four weeks into this um, treatment center, uh, they had a family, what do you call it? It's like the family intervention. The family intervention where it's just you, the counselor, and the family member. So Lisa brought um, our then six-months-old son with her. And so the two of them were in the room with me. And it was at that time you you didn't know what you were going to say. And mm -hmm. I, I was didn't know what you were going to say. And it just came out. Yeah, I, I basically said I didn't want a life with you. I didn't want anything to do with you. I didn't care what happened to you. And that was pretty much it. And then I had nothing more to say. I think I actually left the room after that. Yeah, it was pretty quick. You wrote. And um, I was just shocked, really. Um, because, you know, I, for the first four weeks, I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm doing this to get my family back. I'm doing this to be a part of my son's life and to be back together with Lisa. And that was my, my motivation and my drive. And then when she told me that in the room and, and left, I, I, I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> right? It was just uh, I, I, no other word than shock. Right. But that turned out to be the greatest gift you've given me is because that was a pivot point it um i digested it and, and reflected on it with my counselor and and had my own time to just really think about why am i doing this what do i want and for me it was that moment where i'm like whether or not lisa is in my life i want a better life mm. um i you know the last year or two um leading up to being discovered, you know, I was in the absolute pits of addiction. I couldn't stop. I wanted to stop. I was killing myself. And, you know, so at that moment, I decided that I want a better life. I know there's more to my life. I, I pictured what my life would be, want to be. And um, yeah, it, it changed everything. So just to back this up a little bit to give you guys some context over where I was coming from, because, you know, it sounds all badass and all that I walked into the room and said, I'm done with you and walked out. Uh, but there was a lot of things that led up to that moment. And I didn't know what I was going to say. When Macy went off to rehab, I, you know, was left with the three kids, was running my business, had my studio. And I had, I had no idea what was happening in my life. I felt completely out of control didn't know what to do. So the facility that he went to, they had a local um, chapter or office where family members could go. And I decided that I was going to go because I didn't know what else to do. And fortunately for me, and unfortunately for her, one of my best friends who was previously a client, her husband had gone through rehab. And so I was able to reach out to her and have a conversation with her. And I remember saying to her, do you think I'm a codependent? And she literally laughed at me and she's like, you need to come to these meetings. So I had gone to these meetings, but I was still very much angry. I was angry. I was fighting. I had decided that I was going to fix this. I was going to fix addiction. I was going to fix Macy. I was going to do whatever I could to support him. And I remember sitting in a room with one of the counselors there, and I've, I've never forgotten this conversation he said to me, okay, Lisa, let me get this straight. You're going to load up your baby and you're going to take a two hour ferry ride. You're going to drive for another 45 minutes so that you can sit in a room with your hubby 
to make him feel better. Because when he asked me like, why are you, why would you go over there? I'm like, well, because I want to support him. I want to, I want to make sure he's, he's doing okay. And that he's feeling better. So he says to me, you're going to spend that much time. And then you're going to drive again for another 45 minutes, another two hours on the ferry to make somebody feel better who has literally ruined your life. He's like, help me understand this. And I yelled at him. And I'm like, because I love him. I love him so much. He needs my support. And I walked out of the door because that's my first instinct when a part of me that is wounded feels threatened is to fight, right? We fight, flight, or freeze is typically how people respond. I left, I left that office and I sat in my car and I cried and I thought, what the hell am I doing? Like, what the hell am I doing? My life has been devastated. I have three children. And what I'm concerned about the most is taking care of the person who's caused all the chaos. And that's really when things started to shift for me. So on that day, when you had your family meeting, I remember that that came out of my mouth. And I remember what it felt like when I walked out of the office and I started to cry because I thought, what did I just do? Like, did I just throw away my life? but I just had to trust that what came through me needed to come through me. And I think for, I know it was a pivotal moment for you. For me, it was as well, because not having any contact with you forced me to show up and do the work on me and take my focus off of your healing and what was going to happen to you. Because I had to, to face the harsh reality that very few people and very few couples survive addiction and recovery. And there's a high percentage of people that relapse that has not happened to you. And I think that it's important that we talk about that. So, you know, we'll just fast forward a little bit. Macy mm -hmm. goes through rehab. We take, you know, we learned a lot about feelings. My, the boys went to um, a class with me a weekend and we learned to talk about our feelings, which was really powerful. It shifted how I parent, shifted how I communicate and then you came home and we decided to give it a go. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a little sketch there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't smooth. Um, no. It was, for me, it was, I, I had to learn to live again. Yeah. You had to learn to live and feel sober. And, and feel. And that's just it. I was going through my day and experiencing emotions and not knowing what the hell to do with them. Yeah. I remember it was almost like you it were was walking overwhelming. around. Yeah. You, it was like you were walking around without any skin. Yeah. I, I would have these anxiety attack moments and, yeah. uh, and I just, yeah, like my skin was crawling cause I, I didn't, I didn't know what this feeling was and I felt uncomfortable and I didn't know how to deal with it. And, um, what I evidently learned was through going to, um, a weekly follow-up, um, in my hometown, for a year beyond that and mm -hmm. you going through the similar thing. So we were speaking the same language, which yes. I think was quite important. Um, I started to, to share with you and with my group and ex just share how I was feeling. And I would learn that I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. Everyone was going through the similar things. Yeah. And I think that that's important because during that first year, we were both really committed to our own recovery. Mm -hmm. So you stayed sober. Yeah. I relapsed into my behaviors many times because behavior addictions are almost more challenging to get over because they're like breathing, right? Yeah. So I had to learn to let go of control. I had to move from a place of living in fear because if I'm going to choose to have a relationship with you in recovery, it means every day I have to show up with faith that everything's going to be fine because yeah. I'm not, I didn't want to live my life on eggshells. Is he going to relapse? Is he going to relapse? Like I can't go through that again. So 
there was a lot of letting go, letting go of control, not caretaking you. Because again, I remember in my group, somebody said, you know, Lisa, if you try and do his recovery for him, the foundation underneath him will be like wet paper towels. He needs to do this himself so that his foundation of recovery is solid. Mm -hmm. You have to keep your hands off. But when you're in love with somebody and you want to see them well, it's really hard to keep your hands off. But that is so important if you're listening. When we take our hands off other people's stuff and we trust that they can do the work and we, we stop believing that we know what's better for people, they can actually show up and do great things for themselves. So I had to learn to underfunction. I had to learn to do less. Mm -hmm. And you literally had to learn how to do more. You had to learn how to show up more for yourself. So we danced through that and then, you know, life carried on and you started going to NA. Let's talk a little bit about why that didn't work for you, because this is going to be a little controversial. It it, it did work and it does work. Um, But I stopped going after about five years. So I I did go for five years. Yeah, you did. You really were committed. Um, and it, and it was a place to express how I was feeling and, and share. Um, so I w- knew that life would get better and wanted life to be better. And then I thought, okay, if I just stay clean, everything will get better. And a lot of it did, right? You know, our relationship grew and we strengthened, um, um, you know, financially it got much better, um, career wise, much better. And, but it was almost like it hit a very early plateau um, a year or two in. And I'm like, okay, well, this is just it. And so going to NA for the five years, I, I, I felt like my life was going pretty good. I'd go to these meetings and they were, they were one-way dialogue. So the way that the ones that I went to were um, shaped was that everyone gets uh, an opportunity to share and they, for me, what I experienced was 99%, 95% of it was people who are very early on in recovery. And so it was just fine. You're there to support each other. Um, but they would just be like verbal dump of all their problems. And, yeah. And no crosstalk. And no cross calling them out or, or feedback or just dialogue yeah. back and forth. So I would go into these meetings and I'd come out feeling miserable because I'm, I'm now I'm hearing about all like, like watching the news every day. Right. All you hear are the, the bad stories, the sad stories. And I'm like, well, where's the hope and inspiration in all this? And I, you know, I, I felt reluctant to share because, you know, I'm, I'm five or six people shared before me about how bad things are going and how miserable they're feeling. And then for me to come in and be like, life's great. Life's great. I'm <laughs> clean. I'm sober. Life is good. Yeah. I just, I felt a reluctance to, to share that. And so I had stopped going to meetings after about five years. Um, but I spoke earlier about being in a plateau and I was uh, almost lost again, not in the sense that I wanted to use anymore. It's just, I knew there was more to life. Right. So during this time, during this five years where you were going to NA, mm-hmm. I was still growing. Yes. I was, you know, I was still a coach. I was working now with one-to-one coaches and I was really diving deep into my stuff. So, well, yeah. And, and I think you got to, just acknowledge that a bit more and I, I think the the aftercare that you went through for a year mm-hmm. um, was your probably first real solid experience with 
someone percent looking a, a at coach. my stuff yeah yeah someone to stuff. guide you through uh something that you were needing help with yeah and after so that was a year-long program for you and when that ended you continued you started finding coaches for every area of your life that you needed help with yeah whereas i didn't no and that really, you know, we, we hit some spots in our relationship where that was really challenging because I could see myself growing mm -hmm. and I adored you, but I also knew I couldn't help you or save you. I'd learned too much. Um, but you were in this place of depressed, yeah. disconnected. So you weren't using, you were sober, but you weren't happy and you weren't no. growing so you were just finding other ways to numb there were you know tv or staying up late or playing video games and it was so challenging for me because like i said i had to keep my hands off and let you have your own process but you know when you're growing and the person you love isn't growing that creates a, a very big energetic rift yeah. yeah a very big energetic rift so i wrote it out for as you know as long as i could and you always, the thing that I know to be true about you is you always grow. You just grow at your own pace, right? Mm -hmm. You don't grow on my agenda and you certainly don't grow when I tell you, you need to grow. No, anytime you suggested a coach or some kind of um, program or, or help, I heavy resistance. Yeah. Why was that? Why? Yeah. Um, you know, don't know for sure, but again, I, I grew up in a household that uh, had a very strong uh, female voice and she um you know she expected a lot from me mm. and um yeah I, I i somehow attribute it to that where i i just i resisted being told what to do right despite it probably being what i needed to do right and it's so interesting because um you know, as adults, we're never told what to do, but we can bring things from our childhood. And mm -hmm. even as our childhood, right? Like we have kids, yeah. we have to tell them what to do sometimes. They don't always get an option, no. right? So it's this isn't about throwing our parents under the bus because they were doing the best they could. It's understanding that our childhood brains pick up, pick up things that we don't like, and then we literally carry them into our, our adult into our adult lives. They become these behaviors that don't serve us, right? Mm -hmm. Like pushing back, didn't help you, but also I had to learn how to communicate with you better. Mm -hmm. And I also had to stay out of the way when you would go into your, you know, your cycles about different things. I would literally have to say to you, like, I, I can't be available for this conversation. And the same is true. Like there were cycles of things that I would go through that you had to learn to keep your hands off too. So both of us have our stuff mm -hmm. in this relationship. And still do. Yeah, we're still working through stuff. So, but you know, any person who struggles with addiction is also going to struggle with codependency, right? Mm -hmm. And those are the behavior addictions. So, you know, we've we've navigated it. But what I really what I really want to acknowledge you for and what I really want people to hear is that Macy no longer identifies as being an addict. And that was part of what the problem was with your NA and your AA meetings. Yeah. It, yeah. You're absolutely right. So uh, the way we start, um, you know, our introduction to the group is I go, hi, I'm Macy. I'm an addict. And then I do my blurb. And I had a problem with that because, you know, I, I had, I, I, I do, I, I did a fair bit of reading and um, you know, a lot of the, I'm, I'm a believer in energy and a believer in um, the universe mm. and the, what we put out, it comes back. Mm. 
And I didn't like saying I'm an addict because it kept me in that loop. Right. And I it's felt literally like, reinforcing that story and that, that belief and that identity. It, absolutely. And I felt like I was a completely different person than I was pre-treatment, mm -hmm. post-treatment, like literally a completely different person. Yeah. So I didn't identify with calling myself an addict because in my mind, that was someone who I wasn't anymore. Right. And this, this is really important because we all have stories that we're telling ourselves, right? I am fat. I'm a loser. Mm -hmm. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. And those I am statements literally create our identity. And you would shed that identity, but NA and AA, and we don't want to poo-poo over those programs. No, they support a no lot and they people. serve their purpose. They absolutely do. Um, for me, again, I can only speak from my perspective, but for me, they, they had a purpose for that period right, right after. But for me, there was another level of growth that they could not provide. Right. So I think the better way to look at it, and I think if more people looked at it this way, is it's not your identity. Drugs and alcohol were a habit, and you literally broke that habit. Just like we can break any habit. We can break, mm -hmm. break a sugar habit. We can, you know, we can break a habit where we're not exercising, and it can become a habit where we're exercising. Like These are just habitual things, and mm -hmm. with the power of our mind right? Once we take full responsibility and commit to the life that we want for ourselves, we can change anything. But if you don't adopt that new identity, I'm a healthy person. Yeah. You're going to stay trapped in the old identity, which then perpetuates relapse, which is why I believe so many people end up going back into relapse because they literally leave those meetings even though they've, you know, dumped out all the things that were bothering them, they still leave those meetings with the identity of I'm an addict. So it makes it really easy to use. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just it. The, it, the stories we tell, right. um, I, I have a better understanding now. Um, I've just done a, a coaching program. Um, and one of the largest, most influential takeaways was the stories that we tell ourselves um, shape our behaviors. Yes. And so when I told myself I'm an addict in recovery, um, you know, everything I did was to avoid using and not live. Right. So instead of like, I'm a healthy person living a fulfilling, joyful life. Right. Yeah. Moving towards what you want. It was when you say I'm an addict, it's always about trying to get away from what you don't. Very defensive. Interesting. Everything defensive behaviors. So right. avoiding um, social situations, right. uh, obviously avoiding people that I used with. Um, so yeah, I would call those defensive behaviors versus, you know, uh, growth behaviors where I'm a, a functioning, uh, healthy, growing individual, right. you know, I can go to social situations and talk to people and, and have small talk. I can, um, you know, ask for help when I need help or don't know something right. and see that as a, a sign of uh, strength and and confidence right what i hear you saying is you're working more from your vision now as opposed to getting away from the life that you didn't want to have you're working from the vision of who you need to be and i want to talk about that a little more because i think it's really powerful yeah so again the biggest takeaway for me from jim's uh, tcp program was um who do i have to be um what do you need to do? What do I need to do so to you have, can have what, what you I want? So let's talk about how you got to that point. So we had gone to Mexico in April, April this of, year. of this year. So this is still relatively recent. And I had just come off a business retreat in Tulum with my mastermind and had been very expansive. So in my life and in my business, you know, 
I've been really expanding. My business has really been taking off. Um, things have just really been coming together in all areas. And I spent this beautiful week with one of my best friends and my colleagues in Tulum. And I was just in this like such expansive space. Mm -hmm. And then I was meeting the family. Yeah. So you were still in Mexico and you were yeah. just driving up the coast and we were, I was flying with, um, well, our three kids and two of their older boys are what, 17, 19 now. Yeah. They had their girlfriends come with them. So I flew in with the five kids to meet Lisa in. Where did we go? Uh, Cabo. No. No. Wow, it's totally Playa awesome. del Carmen. Playa del Carmen. Playa del yeah, Carmen. Playa del Carmen. So but it was, yeah, it was, it was what we viewed it as was, you know, kind of our last hurrah, right? The older boys were graduated, yeah. starting we to have jobs. a nice family trip. Yeah, and it would be, we knew it would be harder and harder to get away with everyone together at the same time. So, yeah. So we'd had a lot of conversations about this trip before we want, before we went, and I, you know, I know what Macy likes, and what he wants but there was a lot of pushback on giving ourselves what we wanted and you know, well, we need to take care of the older kids and make sure they have fun. So yep. we compromised, Macy compromised. And I knew that this wasn't probably going to go well. So they all show up. It's a big, beautiful, all-inclusive resort. We are much more like intimate space people. Yeah. Quiet. Right? No quiet crowds. Right. So just to put this in context, you know, it's all the buffets, which, you know, fun, but there was also like pool parties with, foam so this is this is kind of the environment so when when macy showed up it was immediate right out of the gate that he wasn't really happy no. and uh, well and and to give more context as, as prior to us going away i again was not in a great headspace I, I you know in hindsight i was living with depression for quite a while yeah. um and i know i'm quite prone to it um if i'm not careful and i was miserable and I thought, you know, if I go to this trip, that'll give me a recharge and everything will be okay. Right. And that is not what happened. So I very quickly had to adjust my energy, not to meet him where he was, but to detach from his energy. And literally, like, I had to go into the space of, you know what? He's going to be the way he's going to be. And I'm going to do everything that I can to really enjoy this time with my boys, with the family, and having fun. And it'll be what it'll be. But... I also knew I had to have a really big, bold conversation with you that I was afraid of. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember saying to you, you know, we were sitting at the pool and I remember saying to you, I can't do this anymore. I'm growing. This space between us, this energetic space between us is just, it's getting too wide and I can't, I can't be here for you. And I don't see a future with you. And, you know, I've known you'd had a, engagement ring for a long time and mm -hmm. i remember saying to you please don't ask me to marry you because i wouldn't be able to say yes and it, it wasn't an like it wasn't angry no it wasn't I it wasn't, was just matter of fact i was just very matter of fact that this relationship i'm prepared i'm prepared to leave this relationship because it's not rewarding it's not fulfilling you're not happy and i need to keep growing and expanding i'm being called to do big things and big work and i want a joyous fulfilling life yeah, and that wasn't a surprise to me. I mean, it was hard to hear it, but I had felt it for quite a while that uh, you were growing and I wasn't. I knew it. Um, but again, I, for whatever reason, I seemed to respond to uh, <laughs> crisis <laughs> versus uh, 
ahead of time before it gets to crisis. Yeah, gentle nudges never seem to work for you. But I don't see this is, I want you guys to understand this wasn't a threat. It wasn't a, if you don't change, I'm leaving. This was me literally setting a boundary saying, I'm no longer available for this in my relationship and I am unattached to the outcome. So whether he changed or not was irrelevant to me because I had made the decision that I was going to go if things like if nothing was changing yeah I and you never leave. yeah you never put it in the tone of a threat or, mm. or even the wording of a threat like if you don't do this then I'm gone you just calmly stated how you were feeling yeah um I clearly got the message yeah because things changed when we came back yeah so you were pretty sick on that trip <laughs> which oh. made it even worse for you <laughs> it was brutal worst Mexico trip ever <laughs> So we came back and, uh, you know, TCP. So you guys, if you listen to last week's episode, episode 35, I believe, I interviewed one of my mentors and coaches, uh, Jim Fortin. He runs a program called the Transformational Coaching Program. And I've been with him now probably for almost two years. I don't know how many rounds of TCP I've done. And I'm one of his um, senior coaches in the program. So I actually support the the members that, that join the program, you know, and I tossed it out to Macy a couple of times, but again, you know, he does what he wants when he wants to do it. So it was just kind of like, Hey, this is open for registration. So when we came back, I said, you know, TCP is opening again. How about you? You know, do you want to, I'll send you the link. Yeah. If you feel called, check it out. And again, zero attachment to it. The next thing I know. Yeah, no, I just registered. Um, <laughs> you didn't even know Jim before that. You hadn't listened to anything. I knew you worked in his program. I knew you had taken it. But beyond that, I did zero research. All I knew is that I just needed to do something different. Because yeah. I know doing the same thing or me trying to will myself in a different position is not going to work. Hasn't worked. So I figured I'm just going to try it. And if it doesn't work, fine. If it does work. Well, that's wonderful. But I just need to try something different. Right. So here we are now. We're, I think, six weeks, 16 weeks post, 16 or 17 weeks post TCP wrapping up. And how much has changed for us? I mean, other than the fact that we're like well, really happy and engaged now and committed to <laughs> you, you've transformed so much through the program. I'd love for you to share with people what happened for you, because this, this wasn't me coaching you. This was you showing up for yourself. Yeah. It, it, so the, the biggest takeaway was the be do have. Um, I always operated from, well, if I had this house or if I had this car, if I had these clients, then I could do the things that I wanted to do. And then I would be happy. And it was constantly chasing this dream or this goal that always seemed out of reach. And so I could never be happy because I didn't have what I wanted to have. And you know the the biggest takeaway from the program for me was the be do have like who do i have to be today mm -hmm. to do the things i need to do to have what i want and it was just like a lightning bolt of oh my god it's just so simple yet transformative and that changed everything it really did including for the first time ever in your life you started giving yourself putting yourself first yeah giving yourself what you want yeah I, I i was always very selfless um 
in taking care of family and, and friends and clients and putting right. everyone else's needs first. Right. And you kind of wore that like a badge. I, I did, but it took you. a toll on me. It did. And that's what happens when we put everybody above our needs. When we learn how to put ourselves first, we actually have more to give back to other people. And that's part of what you started to learn because I saw you over and over again, compromising on things you wanted for yourself mm -hmm. to either make other people happy or because you just didn't feel quite deserving of stepping into it on your own. Um, and from a financial standpoint, I operated more or less from a place of fear rather than a belief in abundance and uh, the world provides. And, you know, I have a track record and proof that the world provides when I need it. Like my energy has always been um, generous. It's always been love and um, um, safety. And I don't know why I doubt, doubted it. Right. I remember times when I would be struggling in my business and have like no money in the bank trying to figure out how I was going to pay my bills. And you'd be freaking out about not having any money. And I was like, dude, have you looked at your savings accounts and your RSPs and your things? Like it was always mind blowing to me that we were both so often operating from a place of lack and scarcity, but on two different ends of the spectrum, you yeah. actually had a ton of abundance. I, I actually had nothing. And neither of us could get into that abundant mindset. Yet yeah. when you looked around at our lives, and this was a big thing that flipped for me, I started looking around at my life and going, what does money in the bank have to do with anything? Like, look at my life. Look at my amazing life that I have. Mm -hmm. So you bought your dream car. Uh, close to it. You got close <laughs> to your dream car. Um, yeah. So that was the first time I've really treated myself to something expensive. Right. And even the stretch to do that because you took out a loan for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I've always lived um, other than a house. I, I never bought anything unless I had the money for it. Right. So how did you grow by taking out the loan? What did, What made a difference? Like what flipped for you there around your beliefs around money and payments and how did that help you step into abundance well i also researched tremendously yes you did you were a fact finder <laughs> i'm a fact finder and i did crunch the numbers and weighed the pros and cons and you know it actually made sense to buy it versus not buying it it, it was actually beneficial right. which was weird and how does getting in that car every single day make you feel oh it makes me feel um abundant Right. And this is the thing, you know, so often we hold the things that we want from ourselves out at arm's length. Like I can't have that yet, but the truth is we can. And when we step in, when people understand, if you can move yourself into a place of feeling abundant or feeling free or feeling fulfilled or feeling healthy, when you operate from already being there, when you work from the vision, when you be the person that you dream of being, that's when things really start to shift. Yeah, and you know what? It's funny. I'm just thinking of it now, but I, I also really operated and prided myself on um, being modest mm. and not wanting to be judged. Yeah, that was a big one for me too. Because for me, I I saw people who from the outside had had wealth and abundance, and I, I and I guess I judged them, but it would from a jealousy point of view. Mm. Like I wanted it, but I don't know. I you know, I was talking about this in my weight loss from, from within group, because if we envy people who are fit and healthy and have, you know, they just ooze kind of, mm -hmm. you know, 
the confidence when we feel envious of that we're literally telling the universe i can't have that yeah, right yeah, it's yeah. like wanting we push it away so it's really fascinating how much the stories of our lives uh define us and how powerful we are to change all of those stories yeah and so the tcp also opened my eyes to letting go of the fear of judgment because that was a big step in me making that purchase um and it was such a, a pivotal moment for me it was a pivotal moment for you everything has changed for you since taking tcp and you've signed up to do another round i have yeah i'm gonna do one more um for me, I, I know there was so much content in there that I probably, I have missed. Right. And, um, you know, like, like a good book, you can read it several times over and still take good takeaways from it. So I'm going to do another round for sure. And beyond that, I, I, I don't know, but. Yeah. Uh, TCP is a really, really powerful program. We go through things like responsibility and commitment and creating our vision. And there's, there's just, there's so many elements, relationships. Mm -hmm. and, and I think for me, what it's opened my eyes to is this is really the first time, this is the first time other than sports that I've had a, a coach, a life coach or right. a program at least um, in that respect. And uh, it's really opened my eyes to how much it can kickstart change. Right. Transformation. And how, how, and how quickly, quickly. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, <laughs> Yeah, my Lisa's a coach, and I don't think I valued it. No, and I remember I had to really check myself because I would be like, "Hi, this is what I." I remember saying to you, "This is what I do for a living. Like, this is how I, this is how I help people. This is how yeah. I generate revenue. This is how I'm helping to build our life." And you're poo-pooing over it, and I took it. <laughs> I remember taking it so personally at the time, but it was literally there was just. I so just much didn't resistance. understand it. I didn't understand yeah. it because I'd never done it. Yeah, and a lot, I think a lot of people don't realize yeah. what's available with coaching. No, and I, I do get it now. I appreciate it. And so I want more of it for myself. I love it. I love that we're both now speaking the same language. I love that we're both on the same path of growth. And I just see nothing like you have to understand in relationships, when you start to grow yourself, everything changes. So we were either going to grow apart but by you getting in the ring, we're now growing together and we're having deeper conversations and we're talking the same language and life just keeps getting better. Well, and you know what? That was part of when I gave you the ring and proposed was it wasn't just because we're both in this euphoric um, mm -hmm. time in our lives at the moment. Um, it was because we have a proven record, track record of, Jesus, 12 years, 11, 12 years Something now. Something like that, yeah. Of coming to the points of adversity and coming together to work through it. Yeah. And we've proven time and time again that um, when push comes to shove, we've got each other's back. We do. And we work together. And so for me, that was, that, that's. Yeah. It's less about the you know, wedding or marriage, because nothing really changes. No. But for me, it's such a powerful marker of commitment. Commitment. And that and was I another for thing you. for me. Yeah. I, I, I had trouble with commitment. Right. How long did you have the ring for? Two years. Two years. Right. And it all worked out the way it was meant to. Yeah. I can imagine a better time yeah. before then. 
But I, I remember, you know, another conversation with the counselors, him saying, well, why aren't you, get, you know, if he loves you so much, Lisa, why aren't you married yet? Why aren't you getting married? Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was totally gobsmacked by it. I'm like, I didn't have an answer. And he's like, well, clearly he lacks the ability to commit. Yeah. And I was like, you don't, you don't know him, right? In my fighting for, fighting for my love way. But mm -hmm. I just, I just want to acknowledge how far you've come and just how much I adore you and how much I appreciate you doing this work. Not for me, because no. we no, don't you're, you're, each No, you other. get the benefit of it. I do. Family gets the benefit of it. I see the benefit of it, but the work is for me. That's right. We talk about growing as two individual solid trees with our mm -hmm. own roots, yeah. our own sunlight, but mm -hmm. our branches get to intertwine. Yeah. Our roots get to intertwine, but we very much stand on our own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've said this before, like I, I'm in a belief and I think you uh, share my belief is that I love you. I want to share a life with you and have these adventures, but I don't live for you. I don't live for you either. No. And I love that about us. And that's the mark of a healthy relationship. When you know that you're going to be okay on your own mm -hmm. and you're going to be great together, better together, better together. And I want a life with you together, mm -hmm. but we both know we'd be okay if anything happened because we're doing the work on ourselves. And that is really, that's a powerful place to work from in any type of relationship. This goes with your partner, with your kids, right? You can't piggyback your kids through life. Mamas, over-controlling mamas, take your hands off because you're just teaching your kids how to be under-functioners mm -hmm. and uh, it's called learned helplessness. They don't know how to go through life without you doing all the things for them. So it's yeah. really, really important that we give people in our lives and the relationships in our lives, we give them the space to grow and trust that they want the same thing that you want. Like you always wanted the same thing that I wanted for you and that I want for myself, which is mm -hmm. to be happy. Yeah. Just my timing was not what you wanted. Nope. And but I my had to be path okay with to it. growth was, had to be on my own. Yeah. But here we are now. Mm -hmm. So this episode has gone a lot longer than they usually do, but that's okay. I think it's full of value for the listeners. Hopefully uh, you guys can reach out on Instagram. It's Lisa Carpenter Inc. You can hop into my DMS and share your takeaways or just come by and say hello. And if you're interested in learning more about Jim Fortin's transformational coaching program, he is going to be running a live workshop on this be do have model starting on september 4th and you can click over to sign up for that by using the link bit.ly forward slash jim be do have and i will put that in the show notes for you to make it nice and easy and uh, i think it's going to be a three-part three-part live coaching series he's doing and Jim packs a ton of value in. So I would love if you would go and register and sign up if anything from our conversation resonated with you. And of course, you know, when TCP opens up for registration, I'm going to be waiting inside to support Jim and the other coaches in facilitating more amazing transformations. And you'll be there too, but I won't coach on your stuff. No, I won't coach with you. <laughs> we have boundaries. So thank you so much for sitting down with me. I think that there's so many more episodes that you and I could record around money, parenting, relationships. Yeah. I mean, we can go into any one of those topics today in much more detail. Right, so. right. So would you come back? 
<sighs> if my yeah. if my listeners like the like this, would you guys like Macy to come back? Just let me know. Hop into my DMs in uh, Instagram and share. So on that note, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to have us in your ears. And as always, remember that you have to matter in your own life. Make yourself your biggest priority because the life that you want and the ability to thrive depends on you taking responsibility for being your number one priority. Yeah. I'll just leave my last uh, note is that when I started to focus on myself, I found I had more to give. I love you. (laughs) I love you too. Thanks for joining us.